All right. Praise God. Well, today we're going to talk about the living word, the living word. Hallelujah. So let, let me let me pray for the word right now. Thank you, Father. And I just thank you, Lord, that you settle me down, that you give me your peace, Lord God. Thank you, Father, that you said that when I stand before kings and rulers, that you would give me what to say, Lord God. And I just thank you that you have set me before your family. And these are kings and princes before you, Lord God. And I just thank you for that. And I thank you to fill my mouth with your words, Father God and help me to articulate the things that you have shared with me, Lord God. And, Father, we just ask for a blessing on your word. Feed your people manna from heaven. Feed us till we want no more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So we're going to start today in uh, John chapter 20 and verses uh, 30 and 31. And um, so this is at the end of the Gospel of John. And... um, And so it starts out, it says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. So John is like closing up his his gospel. And he said, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. So the Apostle John writes for the purpose of, 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 for us to be able to believe this gospel, he, he writes this gospel for the purpose that we would believe in Jesus. Okay, that is, there is not all the gospels say, this is why I wrote this, but John was specific. He said, I wrote this so that you can believe in Jesus, and that by believing in Jesus, you would have life in his name. This is always our focus when we study the word of God. We are we are studying the word to find and and to feed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we have faith in Jesus, we find life in him. Amen. Amen. So um I I heard this one time um recently, it's not about what you believe but who you believe. It's about who you believe. So when we are studying the word of God, it's not as much about what we believe as far as even though doctrine is important and understanding the, the details about what we believe. It's not so much about believing a bunch of principles. It's about believing in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. So we're going to um, go into Romans chapter 10. And in Romans chapter 10, uh, Paul says, there is no distinction between Greek and Jew. For the, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches to all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call upon him who they haven't believed? And how are they going to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they going to hear without someone preaching? And how are they going to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For as Isaiah said, the Lord who has, Lord who has believed what we, what has been heard of us. So who has believed our report is what the scripture says. And it says in verse 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So and I know in the King James it says hearing by the word of God. Um, the Greek is actually Christos. It's hearing through the word of Christ. And, it, and um, the message translation says the point is this. Before you can trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. So we have to find Jesus in the scriptures. When we approach the word of God, we're looking for him. 
we're not going to God to find Jesus. We go to Jesus to find God. So we have to find Jesus in the word of God. There is nothing worth listening to without hearing and seeing Jesus, the living word of God in the scriptures. Um, you know, yesterday was Reformation Day. Y'all know that. <laughs> um, October 31st, hallelujah, October 31st, that's the celebration of when Martin Luther nailed the thesis on the door of the, the chapel and it started Protestant Reformation. So that's what I celebrate on October 31st is freedom and faith in Christ. And so Martin Luther, he has this quote that I thought was so good. It, he said, the Bible is the manger in which Christ is found. Without the manger, you may not find Christ, but you dare not confuse Christ with the manger. We love the Bible because through it we encounter Jesus, but we, we do not have a relationship with a book, but with the living word, Jesus Christ. Amen. So our relationship, and, and I, I wanted to be careful about how, how I'm saying this just because I don't want to say I'm trying to undermine the Bible, you know, because I believe that the scriptures in, contain the word of God. But, um, but I also know that there are things that are found in scriptures that are, that don't speak to us anymore. It's not for us because it is a part of the law that's passed away or is sometimes what's written in the scriptures is people articulating their thoughts that are outside of the mind of God. So we have to be very careful about what we're seeing and we have to find Jesus in the scripture and what we're seeing. So we are, our relationship is with the person of Jesus. So we can look at this in second Corinthians three verses five and six. It says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being of ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who also made us sufficient ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So Paul is making a distinction here that the written letter of the word from the old covenant, and there's a difference between that and the word that's found in the new covenant. So the letter that kills, like I said, it's, it's can be found in our Bible to do too. So we have to look at context when we're studying the word of God. And to properly interpret the Bible, we need to be aware of what, what the original audience was and what it meant to them at that time, and then see how the Lord wants to apply it to us if it's a if it is applicable to us. So all the chapters of the Bible that give the detail about the Mosaic laws and the requirements, these are the same verses that Paul says shuts up faith. You know, so this, this is what I'm saying. Most of the book of Job contains discussions of Job and Eliphaz, the Temanite, and all the people that came with their presuppositions about God, and they came as Job's comforters, and they just came for 38 chapters just spouting their ideas about God. And then after 38 chapters, then God speaks up. And he and he said to Job, who is this person who darkens with, with counsel without knowledge? You know, it, God spoke up and says, y'all don't know what you're talking about. In Job 42.7, he rebuked Eliphaz. And he said, the Lord rebuked, the Lord had spoken these words to Job. The Lord said to Eliphaz the Tamanite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken what is right about me. 
So, so this is, I, and I'm not saying this, like I said, we're not trying to undermine what the word of God says, but we have to look at it in this context because so often we will pull a scripture out of context and it doesn't really accurately represent the heart of God. Um, even there was a, um, William Shakespeare even said that the devil can cite scripture for his own purpose. So I'm going to show you something that I saw on a t-shirt when I moved to Florida and, um, I don't know, can you show the, the verse up there? I got it on there. So yeah, so when I moved to Florida, <laughs> I saw this t-shirt and it says, he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. So I said, now wait a minute. <laughs> we can pull these verses and it's kind of funny, but on the flip side of it, that's not what God was meaning when he said that, you know, and the people in Florida are not being rebellious, you know, and this is not a punishment from God. This is a blessing of the Lord. So we will quote a verse out of way out of context or, and we can take that off now. Um, people will Job 121. Job said naked. I came came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave the Lord take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, we know the whole story about Job, and it wasn't God that was taken away from him. It was the enemy. But Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. And so people will sing songs about the Lord took stuff away from me. And it's like, and it's not, it's not life. It doesn't inspire faith. And we can see the fruit of it that way. The Bible does say in 2 Samuel 14, 14, that God does not take away life. He, but he devises a means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. Also, John 10.10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that we would have life and have it to the full. So this is how people in our history use scripture verses to justify slavery and brutality. They um, they went to war in the name of the scriptures. Um, this is how people will bring scripture verses out and protest soldiers' um, funerals. You know, because they're not coming from the spirit of Christ. They're using the word of God as a weapon against people. And that's never what it was meant for. The enemy even used Bible verses to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. So we have to see that he pulled them completely out of context. So that's where we have to ask, let the Holy Spirit teach us how to find Jesus in the word of God. It's so important to be a student of, of Jesus in the scriptures. Second Timothy um, chapter 2, verse 15, in the King James, it says, Study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This has to do with rightly dividing the word of truth. The word of truth, Jesus, is truth. So it's rightly dividing the word of Jesus. Paul was warning Timothy not to become involved in arguments and debates that chip away at faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. In second, um, if we look at it in the message, starting verse 14, it says, repeat these basic principles over and over to God's people. Warn them before God against a pious nitpicking, which chips away at faith. It just wears everyone out. Instead, concentrate on doing your best for God and, and work you won't be ashamed of. So when we're doing our best for God and we're looking for Jesus in the scriptures, it's a work that we won't be ashamed of. And we can lay lay out the truth plain and simple. Stay clear of all pious talk that is only talk. Words are not mere words, you know. If they are not backed by a godly life or the life of God, they accumulate poison in the soul. And that literally means that the evil teaching spreads like gangrene. 
So this is this is how how um, twisting God's word will come in and it will corrupt everything that 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 is in God's purpose for us if we're not looking for the person of Jesus. Jesus is the one that inspires faith. Jesus is the one that gives us life. In the mirror translation, it says, without any delay, live your life from a place where you are familiar with your complete approval of God. There is such an intimate, immediate authority and clarity. Truth triumphs over every contradiction. It makes a clear-cut division between light and darkness. The word of truth shows distinctly that the duty-driven law of works and annoyances and the love-driven law of perfect liberty have nothing in common. So it, it draws this distinction. When you rightly divide the word of truth, you can see a difference between a law that brings works and a law that brings liberty. So this reminds me of the two trees in the garden. You know, when the God put man and woman in the garden, he gave them two, he gave them a bunch of trees, but there were two trees that were highlighted. And there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then the tree of life. And we always have a choice of what tree we can eat from and uh, where we will receive from, but there is only one that brings us life. Amen. So we're going to talk about the word is made flesh. In Revelation chapter 19, uh, verses 11 and 13, 11 through 13. Um, this is um, John the Revelator, you know, the same one that wrote that wrote the gospel so that you would believe in him. He said, I saw heaven open, but behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And and he has a name written that no one knows, and he is clothed in a robe dipped in his blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. So this is his name. This is his victorious name is the Word of God. In John chapter 1, John, the um, he starts talking. He basically uh, repaints the story of creation, and he said, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that word logos is intelligence. It's an interconnected network of things. The sum, it, it's not, when we say the logos, the word of God, it's not just the written word, because that's sometimes the way I understood it, the way I was told. It's like, well, the logos is what's written down, and the rhema is the God-breathed word. But logos is really a much broader concept of that. It says, it says that it, that it is the divine wisdom manifest in creation, government and the redemption of the world all often identified in the second person of the trinity um philo of alexandria he was a jewish philosopher during the time of christ and he taught that the word logos uh, was the intermediator being between god and the cosmos so kind of like an angel because in greek philosophy you are very far away from god all the time so the only way you can communicate with god is through angels back and forth back and forth so this is so he said that the highest level of that communication is logos and so that was the belief system and um so the new testament writers took that word logos and they said yep 
That's the person of Jesus. That's who he is. And it says in the New Testament, the phrase word, the logos of God, is found in John 1.1 and elsewhere, shows God's desire to and his ability to speak to the human. So Jesus is his representation. It's his desire to communicate with us. It's his, he is the expression, the express image of God. So he, it, it, it's his desire to speak to humanity. The Christian expression of his, this communication is evidenced in the Christ who is the word become flesh. Amen. So in these three biblical words, the word become fresh, flesh, Christianity points to the possibility of union between the heaven and the divine. The personal and the absolute. God's logos, which is, which Christ represents, acts as a bridge between the human inner spiritual needs and the answer proclaimed in the gospel. Amen. So Jesus becomes the, the advocate. He becomes the way between so that we can access the, the heavenlies of God. So I'll, I'll keep moving in, um, in this second verse, it says, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him, in the word, was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming to the world. So he was he was announcing the coming of this word of God made flesh. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So I, I was thinking about this, and John was saying that humanity didn't know who God was. And even with all the history with God was reaching out and making covenant and doing all these things, the, it, that John said that they didn't know him. They couldn't see him. They couldn't recognize him when he came. The world was made through him, but they didn't know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born nor not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, but by the will of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. And in verse 16, it says, for of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So grace over grace over grace. For the law was given through Moses, that the letter that kills was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is the, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So no one has ever seen God except Jesus, and Jesus has made God known to us. Amen. So the revelation of who God truly is can only be found in the person of Jesus. Before Jesus, no one had seen God at any time. And God in His fullness of grace and truth, we were seeing Him through a veil of our own deception, of our own illusions, of our own preconceived ideas, we weren't seeing him as he truly was. Jesus came to show us who he truly was. He um, he came to show us the Father. In John 17, Jesus was praying before his death, and he was, um, uh, I'll just start reading it. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son 
that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that you, that they may know the only, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So, so he said the whole purpose is for us to have eternal life. And our eternal life is not strictly talking about afterlife. It's not talking about just what happens when you die. Eternal life is about having access to the life of God right now. We have access to a banqueting table now. We have access to the life of God now every day. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And in verse 4, it says, "I glor-, Jesus said, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. In verse 6, it says, I manifested your name to the people whom you've given me out of the world. So, and that word manifest just means to make visible, to make known something that had been hidden. So Jesus is saying that he, that he has made the invisible God visible. He demonstrated who God really is. And he said, I manifested your name to the people whom you've given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given to me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. So these, but going back to the word of life, he said, I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you have sent to me. So Jesus came to show us the Father, and he came to give us his living word. The word of Christ produces faith on the inside of us, and just live by faith. Amen. So um, in Hebrews chapter 1, um, the writer of Hebrews says that long ago, long ago, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the whole world. So the, the writer of Hebrews is in agreement with John that all the worlds were created by that living word of Jesus Christ. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So he is the exact imprint of God's nature, and he speaks through us through his living word. And I love it that he included in here, and he purified us of all sin. So when he sees us, this is what he sees. Uh, he sees glory, and he sees us purified. So amen. He's, he is the exact imprint of God's nature. That's how God the Father sees us. He sees us purified already. Um, in Hebrews chapter 4, this is a very familiar scripture. It says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So, again, this is not talking about the Bible being living and active. It's talking about Jesus being living and active. He's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight. So this is where it lets us know that it's not a it 
word of God. It's a him word of God. It says, no creature is hidden from his sight, but we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to, with whom we have, to whom we give an account. So the word of God is living and active. It's not a book. It's the person of Jesus. And we're all naked in his sight and we're not ashamed. We're naked and not ashamed like a, like the new creation because he is looking at us as purified. He's looking at us because our sins have been dealt with and he sat down. Praise God. So it's all about him. Um, I want to look at this story. Um, it's found in the Gospel of Luke on Resurrection Sunday. Um, and so far in Luke's account, this is where we are. So it's Sunday morning and the tomb is empty. <laughs> there were a couple angels that spoke with the women and, you know, when they came to the tomb and he said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? I love that. It's like they look at you like, what are you doing here? You know, why are you seeking the living among the dead? And he rem- and they reminded them of the words of Jesus. So the women came and told the disciples they thought that that wasn't accurate what they were seeing. Um, Peter was the only one that went to the tomb to check it out for himself. So on that same day, in verse 13 of uh, Luke 24, it says that very day there were two of them, two disciples, who were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus kind of snuck up on them, and he was in disguise, or he he didn't let them see who he was in the flesh. And he said to him, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still in and and they look in, they look sad then one of them named cleopas answered him are you the only visitor in jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days so okay i just want to stop right here real quick is some people assume that these were talking about two men disciples but other biblical scholars believe that this could have been a married couple so um cleopas and his unnamed wife so um, some believe that the wife may have been one of the women that were at the foot of the cross. So if you if you look real quick at um, John 19, verse 25, it says there were um, there stood by the cross, Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, wife of Clo- Clopas and Mary Magdalene. So there was just like one letter difference between them. And so um, because there's a slight difference in their names, it could have been like a scribal error. Somebody, you know how easily it is to misspell a name, Michelle. <laughs> yes. So it's easy to just drop out a letter by mistake. Um, so but even if this wasn't that Mary um, that was at the foot of the cross, um, because the second disciple is unnamed and it doesn't necessarily say a gender um it's very likely a female disciple so um but why is that important i i think if we see it as a married couple we can kind of see that this can be a replay of the garden um the the way that when i'm reading this story i'm seeing a replay of the garden um because they got into trouble by eating of the wrong tree now they're gonna break the bread and eat and they're gonna eat of the right tree so um so going back to the story, in verse 19, um, 
Jesus said, what things, you know, what things are we talking about? And and they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And now the chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early. Early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back setting, saying that they had seen a vision of angels and said that he was alive. And some of those who went with them is, went to the tomb, found it as the women had said, and they didn't know. Um, they didn't see him there either. So then he, Jesus, said to them, O oh, foolish one and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures with the things concerning himself. So Jesus began teaching from the very beginning and started walking through that seven-mile journey and started telling him all the scriptures concerning himself. He, he, he brought them back into the right paradigm. When they're looking at the scriptures, he had to turn it around and say, this all had to be fulfilled. He brought them to the scriptures concerning himself, and he brought everything through the lens of the word, the living word of truth. And so in verse 28, they draw near to the village to which they were going, and Jesus acted, I said, Jesus, he acted as if he was going to go farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. So it's getting late, come hang out with us. And he went in and stayed with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. So when the man and the woman ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, their eyes were open to their shortcomings and to their nakedness. But when this couple ate from the tree of life, their eyes were open and recognized Jesus. They, they saw him as he really was. And they said to each other, did not our heart burn within us when he talked to us on the road and he opened us the scripture? And they arose that same hour and they returned to Jerusalem. So they went and they're seven miles, seven miles back <laughs> to Jerusalem. And when they found the eleven and those who were there gathered together, they were saying, the Lord is risen indeed and he appeared to Simon. So by the time they got back and then um, so then the couple told him what had happened on the road. And how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. In verse 36, he says, And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. So he appeared in the midst of them, and he said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and started and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do you har- why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as I have. His blood was stilled, so he didn't have blood. He had flesh and bones. And now when he had said these things, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and they were marveling, he said to them, do you have anything to eat? So they gave him some broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. So this was proving to them that he wasn't a ghost. He was actually in physical form. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything about me must be 
the, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So he went through and did the same lesson that he did with the couple on the road to Emmaus, opening up the scriptures. He did that with the disciples that were gathered together there. And he showed them himself in the law of Moses. He showed them himself in the prophets. He showed them himself in the Psalms. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he's, he'll open our minds and our hearts to understand the scriptures through the lens of his finished work. When we approach him with that, that's what brings us life. That's what brings us strength. On the Mount of Transfiguration, the, and he had the Moses and Elijah and Jesus, the father said, this is my beloved son, hear him, because he's the one that can bring you life and strength. In John chapter 6, um, when uh, it was after the feeding of the, of the 5,000, and Jesus was telling them of the importance of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and everybody had left him, he asked, asked the disciples, he said, are you going to leave me too? You're going to leave? And Simon answered him in verse 68, and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So Peter knew that even in the midst of all that that turmoil and persecution, that Jesus was the only one that could give him life. And his his words were so addictive to him, or they were so nourishing is a better word to say. They were so nourishing to him that they were like, where else are we going to go? We're going to stay here and we're going to listen to you. And um, I, Proverbs 4.20, verse 22, um, this is a verse that I often use um, for healing. Um, but I think that it works for us today. Um, it says, my son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my saying. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those that find them and health and wholeness to all your flesh. So God's word is life and health to all of our flesh. We can eat of the tree of life today. Amen. Amen. Oh, Father God, we thank you for your word to us today. Father, we thank you for that you've given us the privilege that you have redeemed us by your blood. We thank you that you have redeemed us and you brought us back to the new creation place with you, that you brought us back to the garden to be able to eat of your tree of life, your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Jesus, you make yourself so available to us, that you you are so willing to help us and to strengthen us. Thank you, Jesus, for washing us with the water of your word today, Lord God. And we thank you for refreshing and reviving and restoring everything that we need right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so I'll see you Sunday.